0: if everything always went according to plan at first we might accomplish more of what we think we need to accomplish and it may seem less stressful at first being able to anticipate what happens next but after a certain amount of time and that amount would vary from person to person the once the once comfortable predictability would become less comfortable and well boring if we always know what happens next we lose the joy of surprise, serendipitous experiences, and the excitement that comes from anticipating the unknown. Friends, let us gather with open, curious hearts, ready to explore the unpredictable, learn from its wisdom, and embrace its beauty. From wherever you are, come and let us worship together. Love is the doctrine of this Church, the quest for truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer, to dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve life in fellowship, to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony. Thus do we covenant with each and with all. For all our joys, all our sorrows, whether we share them with one another or we hold them close to our hearts. Let us be together in a moment of silence. Please join with me in a spirit of prayer and reflection. Eternal and beloved, gracious source of all life and all love, we are grateful today for this time out of time, which we have set apart so that we might become more fully present to ourselves, to our communities, to that which we call holy. May our joys be celebrated together, our wounds be healed together, our hearts be opened together let us give thanks for the gifts of this community and all that it gives to us. For the people who meet us where we are. For the people who love us without condition. For the people who challenge us to bring forth our best selves. For the place in the circle that is always open to us. For the hand and the heart that is there when we need it, without question, without fail. May the vision of this community, as it is and as it can be, be etched in our minds and our hearts so that we might find the inspiration and the strength to build a whole world in its image. All this we pray in the names of those known and unknown, present and absent, remembered and forgotten, in the names of all the helpers of humankind. Amen.
1: here is a box. Have you heard the expression thinking outside the box? What does it mean? Do we imagine our brain in a box and then outside one? Thinking outside of the box means thinking in a different or more imaginative and creative way. To think outside the box is to look further and to try not think of the obvious things, but to try think of things beyond them or even other than them. That takes imagination which has been our church's theme this past month. Our Unitarian Universalist faith asks us to be questioning, curious, and imaginative. It's part of our fifth UU source as well to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science. Sometimes people think of science and imagination as opposites, but every good scientist will tell you that you need imagination and reason to understand the world and to invent new things. Some of you scientists could probably tell us that, right? Scientists and inventors need to question and use their imagination. Even Albert Einstein, a physicist, used his imagination. He actually said, I am enough of an artist to draw freely upon my imagination. Imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited, whereas imagination encircles the world. So let's take this box. Let's think outside the box and use our imaginations. What could this box be? A box for a mug? A house for a gerbil? The controls of a robot. How crazy can we get? How far can we think outside of the box can we think about a galaxy within hours what that's crazy or galaxies elsewhere i bet you guys have thought about that what about thoughts on god or something that exists beyond ourselves. So today, Reverend John will be doing a question box sermon. This is where he answers questions that people in our church have asked him. It is a fun service. Folks might ask him questions about our church or about religion or Unitarian Universalism or ask him his favorite comic book hero. Or they might ask him a question where he may have to think outside the box to answer. The really cool thing about our church community is that we all have different beliefs and thoughts about things in our lives. Even you have different beliefs and thoughts than maybe your peers or friends, or even different thoughts and beliefs than some of your family members. This is what makes our community so unique. We can have different beliefs and thoughts about things and then talk about them in kind and compassionate ways. I know that I really like this about our UU Church. So this week, I encourage you to keep using your imagination to think outside of the box in your daily life.
2: Come to me. Come to me.
0: So I received only a few questions from you all this week, which Hopefully means you've got all the answers, and if you do, I would really like to talk to you maybe later this week. But most of them gathered together in one central theme, and I'm going to deal with that after the anthem because it took on, my answer took on more of the form of a sermon this week. But first up, a fun question for me. Someone asks, what are your sabbatical plans? Well... The easy answer is I don't know. With everything going on around in the world right now, it's really hard to make any concrete plans. In a perfect world, I'd get to travel around a lot. Jess and I would get to go visit our son up in Seattle. We would get to maybe go stay some interesting places to rest and relax, but that that is up in the air. What I do know is I'll be focusing on three things. First, I'm going to be taking on a little more self-guided study in video production. Long before we got to this pandemic area where I was preaching into a camera every week, video was one of my hobbies, one of the ways I had fun. It was something I picked up, in fact, on my last sabbatical. And over this past year, my hobby has turned into part of my job, which is a good thing and it's a bad thing. It's a good thing because I'm getting to do something I enjoy doing from week to week, preaching into a camera. And at the same time, my hobby has become my job and i'm not doing a lot of creative work or a lot of fun work in the process and so i want to rediscover the fun of my hobby i want to learn to use my tools better i want to hopefully take an online class in cinematography to learn to use my camera as a tool for art more and outside of the the video work i'm going to be Continuing my work with improvisation, I'll be taking classes at Santa Fe Improv over Zoom for the foreseeable future and rehearsing with my performance team as well and putting on shows once a a month, which is our, our schedule right now. And I'm looking forward to be able to dive into that some more. And finally, and probably most importantly for me right now, I'm going to pick up several of my writing projects that have been moving along slowly because of my day-to-day activities. I have a play that I have been working on that I mentioned in this month's newsletter column. I have a screenplay I started for the pandemic that I mentioned a couple of sermons ago that I'd like to finish. And I'm going to be hopefully wrapping up the sequel to this book right here. No, Your Eyes Don't Deceive You. Yes, that is a pen name, and this book will be coming out early March, and you can learn more about all of my secret identity activities here. I'd love you to check it out, but no obligation, okay? And and finally, finally, more than anything else, I am going to rest. I've joked half-jokingly with people over the last several months as we've been Planning this sabbatical time, that if the only thing I can do is take a five-month nap, that would probably be the best thing I could do for myself right now. I am, as you can probably guess from last week's sermon even, kind of tired. This year has grinded me down, and it is time for me to get some rest and recuperation in. And then I'm looking forward to coming back to you in November, rested and recuperated and ready to recommit to our ministry together, and that truly, that is my sabbatical plan.
3: heaven in a wild
2: flower.
3: Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour.
2: To stay
0: I mentioned earlier that there was a definite theme going on to the few other questions I received this week. And I'm going to read them to you now, a little bit paraphrased. And you'll see, I think, where I'm drawing some connections. And I'm going to attempt to answer these questions kind of as one whole this morning. And hopefully uh, honor them and the intention that you gave them to me and, and give my best answer to it all. But there was definitely a sermon in all of this one asks how does humanity deal with the dramatic increase in subjective realities over the last 50 to 60 years and another asks how can dialogue and attempts toward understanding healing and progress happen when there are different realities demonization of the other side hyperpartisanship and apparent unwillingness or inability to reach toward the other and then finally how toxic is cancel culture when you are trying to bridge a chasm? How do we stand firm in our beliefs while engaging in civil dialogue rather than call out and cancel culture? These are all excellent questions and they have all been heavy on my mind in the last several weeks as well as I'm sure some of you have thought about that watching the news over the last several weeks. And I'm gonna be working from my notes here this morning instead of my usual teleprompter. First up, I want to push back at the idea that there are subjective realities. I mean, really, there is only one objective, observable reality, and that points are going to become important in just a second. I think what we're really talking about are subjective, differing concepts of how the world should work, and that's, that's fine in and of itself. It is human nature to ask the big questions about what is human nature and how should we live best in the world and what is our purpose in living on this planet in the first place. Questions like that, the big questions. And we draw our ideas and our concepts about the answers to those questions from all sorts of sources, be it our religions, be it family upbringing, be it traditions that have been handed down to us, be it the empirical observable reality in front of us that we can look to for data. And we As human beings and as Unitarian Universalists especially, we love living in that realm of ideas. We love debating about those ideas. We love to enter into what some call the marketplace of ideas. And we buy and sell and trade and haggle and discuss about which might be best and which aren't as good as the others. But here's the thing. We don't live in that realm of ideas. We don't live in that marketplace. No idea stays in the realm of ideas for too long because our ideas, our concepts of how the world should work, our beliefs about the way the world should be, lead us to act in specific ways right here and right now. The language we use to describe our ideas and our beliefs programs our brains to behave in certain ways. And so our ideas and our concepts, all of that in the abstract realm leads us to behave and act in certain ways, whether we intend to or not. And those actions and those behaviors, they have an impact on the real world in the one objective reality we are living in. All of those ideas acted on come together in that observable reality. And at that point, we're able to much better judge what ideas, what concepts, what beliefs are actually helpful and valid and worthy here and now in our one objective reality. What I'm saying basically is once the abstract rubber meets the physical road, it's very easy to look at the vehicle that is being driven and say, that thing is on fire and randomly murdering people, and we should probably recall that vehicle. There are some ideas that don't belong in the marketplace of the here and now, and they should be removed from the debate and removed from the conversation and not allowed to make policy in our world. The thought that only white people are worthy of living and success, that has been an idea that has caused real damage and existential terror and actual death to thousands of people over the centuries it doesn't get to have an equal seat at the table of conversation of how shall we live best as a society there are ideas that should be rejected and shut out and this This is where we start to get nervous. Even us religious liberals who love the idea of that individual search for truth and meaning and the inherent worth and dignity of all people, how can we shut out ideas? And in effect, the people who are espousing those ideas, if we are supposed to have this open engagement. And this is where the worry about cancel culture and call out culture comes into play. But before I answer those questions, let me, let me give you a small world example. This is an absolute hypothetical, but I think it will help us deal with the notion of how we deal with these ideas that I think observably and demonstrably are harmful and should be rejected from the conversation. Let's say, for the sake of argument today, that the marketplace of ideas is real. Let's say it's an actual marketplace. Let's say the marketplace is a a farmer's market. And the ideas in this case are booths selling different sorts of jam, blueberry jam and raspberry jam and strawberry jam and poisonberry jam, all kinds conceivable kinds of jam. Now, Everyone gathered at the market selling and looking to purchase jams could have all kinds of good faith conversations that would be relative in their outcomes as to which jam is the better jam and which fruits should be used more often and which fruits probably shouldn't be ever used to make jam. And hey, is it okay for this booth selling honey to be over here? It's kind of related to jam, sort of. All of that can be talked about in good faith and has real world consequences in in the world of just this farmer's market but say one day someone arrives to sell his new brand of jam and it's a it's it's a strawberry jam and its secret ingredient is let's say cyanide you might be well within your rights to say that that person probably shouldn't be selling that particular jam from their booth, and you might be right to say whether or not this person should even be allowed to continue having a booth at the farmer's market. And what say you decide to say so? What say you decide to call out this obvious, obvious harm happening in your midst? That man is selling cyanide-laced jam to the people, and he's got a list of people he thinks we should feed it to. Whoa, 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 hey, 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 I'm just selling jam here. If you choose to buy it, that's your decision. And if you choose to buy it and then feed it to certain other undesirable elements, you know, that's, that's on you. No, seriously, everybody, he's selling cyanide jam, and two people have already died in the parking lot. Do not listen to this man. He is a plant from the liberal big jam cartel, and he is just trying to squeeze the little guy out. Uh, yet what do you have to say about the reports that you're selling cyanide jam and it's already killed 20 people? Listen, I'm just a man who loves to make jam a hard-working, creative individual, and a... I'm just trying to find a way to use my God and constitutionally granted right to express myself to the fullest of my being in a way that makes me a little money. And now now these people are jealous of my secret ingredient. They're here trying to shove me out of the marketplace. No more questions. No more questions. Now I'm having a little fun here. It's 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 kind of an extreme, ridiculous example. But It reflects the conversation being had right now today, just in the last few weeks, about how we handle it in the public square when someone espouses ideas that have been shown demonstrably throughout history to cause real harm to real people and the demand for accountability for that action. Look what happens when we call out folks like Josh Hawley and Marjorie Taylor Greene for their demonstrably awful ideas they are trying to sell into the real-world marketplace. Deny that they did what they did or said what they said, or that what they did and said really caused any harm in the first place. And simultaneously or afterwards, if that first denial doesn't work— Attack the messenger. Attack their motives and their character for even questioning you in the first place. Try to shift the attention onto them. And finally, finally, reverse the role of the victim and the offender. I'm the real victim here because I'm told I can't share my awful idea in the marketplace. I am being silenced, they say on national television during an interview in front of millions of people it's a little disingenuous and the the work might sound familiar deny attack reverse victim and offender in the work of therapists especially therapists working with people who have suffered trauma and abuse D-A-R-V-O, deny, attack, reverse victim, and offender. DARVO is recognized as one of the primary MOs of the psychological abuser, an attempt to shift blame away and attention away from the awful things that someone has done or said when they are called into account for those words and those actions. And so... This calls into question for me the reality of cancel culture. It is, to my mind, a big lie. It's similar to crying political correctness back in the 80s and 90s when somebody said something awful and claimed they were being muzzled and told how they could talk after they said something awful. It shifts the conversation away from accountability for something done to a conversation about Should we be silencing or demanding accountability from anyone in the first place? It's an act of misdirection. And in the process, for every one story in the news about the actual event that caused harm, there are 10 more stories amplifying the question of, are we canceling too many people? Should people be silenced or called into account for their actions? Is this congruent with what we believe about our First Amendment rights. And in the process, we get pushed from dealing with actual harm and trying to account for consequences to people back into the realm of pure ideas where we're comfortable and happy and we don't deal with the harm at hand. So no, asking someone to remove their ideas from the marketplace and account for the harm that they've done is not cancel culture. First off, it's hard to call it cancel culture when the people crying the loudest about it are doing it from platforms in front of millions of people. That just shines the big lie right there. And second of all, it's hard to call this a culture at all because the majority of us, the majority of people who might be called into account for our actions wouldn't be able to be canceled anyway because we didn't have the platform in the audience to begin with cancel culture isn't real or to put it as one internet wag has said it's only cancel culture it comes from the cancel culture region of france otherwise it's just sparkling consequences and that's what we're asking for here when we're asking people to remove their harmful ideas from the marketplace and and make amends for the harm that they've done in the process. We're asking for there to be consequences for actions. Demonstrable consequences so that maybe people can see those ideas don't belong and should be removed after all. Those ideas need to be removed from the marketplace. And the most effective way of doing that when people have a public platform, is to call them out. And I know this particular act makes people uncomfortable. It's confrontational for one and none of us likes confrontation. I am the least confrontational person on the planet. I, I don't feel comfortable with the notion of doing it myself. And it sucks to be called out when you've made a mistake. It, It doesn't feel too good, does it? And it is true that, like any tool, a call-out can be abused. And we see it abused in the online realm especially. People sometimes are called out more to make the person doing the calling out feel better about themselves without really seeing to what they're trying to affect in the person being called out in the first place. Sometimes it might be better to call someone in and call out and call in are both legitimate tools when we are trying to build a just world and both tools can be used well and both tools can be abused and they each have their place the call out has a place in the conversation Calling out somebody's bad behavior and bad language has a place in the conversation. When someone is causing actual potential or real existential harm to a person or persons, there are plenty of ideas like that out there. Let's let's say, for example, let me just pull this one out of thin air as a ridiculous example, completely making it up. Let's say there's somebody standing out on Central Drive with placards protesting the Jewish space lasers that are causing all the wildfires. Yeah, that's a ridiculous idea. And it might be easy to laugh at it, too, and laugh it off because it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. And at the same time, it's a variation on a very old idea That has caused a lot of death and destruction for the Jewish people throughout history. It doesn't have a place in our community, so how do we deal with it? We call it out. That idea is harmful. It has no place in our community. You should not be espousing it here. Please leave the Starbucks. Simple as that. Now, it might seem like we're shaming the person who's espousing the idea, and in effect, we are, except most people who espouse ideas like that really have no capacity for shame in the first place. Otherwise, they would not be putting those ideas out into the public square. But the idea needs to be forcibly ejected, and two other things happen in that process. There's two real world important reasons that the call out is an important tool and they're this one it lets anybody in the vicinity who is hearing that threat know that there's somebody else in the community who has their back there's somebody in the community looking out for their safety and their well-being too And two, to anyone else in the audience who might be on the fence, who might be unsure whether or not that idea has a place in the conversation, it pulls them off the fence and into the circle of people who want to care for a wider range of people in their community. And so while the immediate effect, the immediate visible effect might be that we are ejecting a person from our community because of the words that they said, and that will just then give them a chance to go complain about cancel culture and the call-outs and, you know, reverse the victim and offender roles. But in the long run, it has the effect of widening the circle of the community. It welcomes more people into the circle. It makes them feel safe and connected than it does rejects a person who espouses that bad idea. And on a macro level in this country right now, after the last four years especially, even beyond the the decades that this has been happening, on a macro level, that's exactly what needs to be happening right now. That's how we need to deal with clear harm and danger to people espoused in the public sphere. but it doesn't address the big underlying question I'm hearing in the questions I received this week. Because what I'm hearing underneath all of this is, how do I deal with this in my own small circle? How do I have these conversations and these arguments with people who I live with and work with and go to school with, with my close friends and neighbors, with people who I care about, and love. How do I have these conversations and bridge this divide? Is any of this helpful at all? Now, in a perfect world, I would say that the answer would be to use the call-in tool. In a perfect world where every one of us is trying to grow into a better person is trying to grow a soul in a perfect world where everybody is capable of admitting when they make a mistake and capable of learning from those mistakes in a perfect world where everybody would want to be part of the larger whole the call-in is a great tool because it allows us to be in relationship with the people we are already in relationship with and pull them off to the side and say hey That idea causes harm. Here are some real-world examples of how it has really hurt people. Is that the kind of thing you want to be bringing into our circle? I understand you may not have known that before. Can Can you get rid of that idea and come back into the circle with the rest of us? And in a perfect world, someone would admit the mistake that they made and learn from it, and we all grow together into community. And if you have those kinds of relationships with people in your life, if you have relationships built in a deep love and a deep trust with one another, you can have those conversations. And I imagine as awkward as confrontation can be, they would be rich and rewarding and would build upon relationship and be beautiful. And so, yes, that is a tool when you have that kind of relationship with the person you are engaging with. But I understand too we don't live we do not live in a perfect world and our relationships are diverse and messy and I don't have a good answer to that question today I don't have a good answer to the question how do I have the conversation with the people I love the most It may be after the trauma of the last four years, we can only have it in ourselves to deal with all of these issues on the macro level, because that macro level is necessary right now. It might be that the loving act we do, that surrounding with love that I talked about last week, might include having to say to somebody, I'm sorry, you can't play in the sandbox with us right now. You need to go stand in the corner until you understand the hurt you have caused and you can come back when you're ready to acknowledge that hurt and you're ready to make amends. That, that is a form of love within the community because you're looking out for their soul as well as for the souls of everyone in your circle and maybe, maybe that macro work trickles down as we put our own ideas about what is best for the world into reality and we make those into policy and we make those into law and we see the benefit it might have. Maybe people who were engaging with the big lies can see the ideas for the harm they were causing and step away from them finally. Sometimes it takes that real observable world evidence to make that change in people so maybe it's just the macro work we need to engage in and maybe as painful as this is maybe our loved ones need some calling out if we don't have a relationship where we can call them in if they're being obstinate in their clinging to hateful ideas if they are actively perpetrating harm, even in their small circles because of them, that call-out might be important, and maybe they even hear it. Maybe we just do our best to reiterate over and over again the demonstrable real-world truths that are having a benefit in the world and the demonstrable harmful lies with real-world evidence evidence over and over. This is a lie, and there is why. This is true, and see how it works. If we've got the strength and the energy for that, to just repeat ourselves until the truth is heard, maybe that's what we do. And maybe after four years, it is okay to just take a break. Maybe you don't have it in you for any of these conversations anymore, and that is okay. Don't feel bad if you do not have the strength right now to bridge some sort of chasm in your relationship. It's okay. As one of my friends said on Facebook this week. Look, I don't owe you an argument just because you came here looking for one. It's, it's taking care of yourself that is important, too. But my best answer to the question of how do I have these conversations with the people in my small circles is, and uncomfortable as it is for me to admit, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know for myself. But what I do know is this. You are responsible for your own boundaries and your own Relationships. You get to draw them, and you get to enforce them. If it is healing for your soul to be in those relationships and in those conversations, no matter how how hard they might be, despite all the frustration that comes up in them, be in those relationships and be in those conversations. But if it's better for your soul to to step aside from the conversation or outright step away from the relationship because it's just too painful to be in, then by all means, step back. Take care of yourself first in all of this. Do what you know will work to see to the wellness of your own soul. There's a lot we're just healing from inside at this point. And it is okay to be how you need to be in any of these relationships. And know, too, when I confess to you my own struggles and my own hurt like I did last week, and when I confess to you that I don't know the best answer right now, Know that means you are not alone and struggling with the answers and the grief. Know that I am right there with you and that I am here for you. Email me your questions anytime. Don't wait for question box. Give me a call when it gets hard. I will be here for you however you need me to be here for you in these moments, whether it's to wrestle through the answers together or just cry it out or laugh at the absurdity of it because sometimes that's the only thing you can do. That is, that is my best answer today. In the midst of all of this, I am here for you however you need me. And that is a demonstrable truth. And may it be so. Our offering for the month of January is taken up for the Esperanza Shelter in Santa Fe. Since 1975, Esperanza Shelter has been providing shelter and support to those threatened by domestic violence and encouraging healthy relationships in the community in Santa Fe and the eight northern pueblos. 100% of all monies collected this month will be given to the shelter. Use your Giblify app on your mobile device or use the link in the service notes below to make your donation. Thank you for your generosity. May what you give bring you joy and into deeper relationship with your community. Friends, may life bless us and keep us. May the light of life shine upon us and out from within us and be gracious to us and bring us peace. For this is the day. This is the one wild and precious life we have been given. So let us all find a way to rejoice and be glad in it. Go in peace.